Hi, good morning again. My name is Sean, I'm the lead pastor here. And this morning we're going to be wrapping up our Advent series that we've called Hope Wore a Diaper. We'll be looking at one verse uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, but to get to it we need to read some context. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. It's printed for you on page 10 in your order of worship there in the ESV translation. And then we, we, I've also provided verse 10 in our children's uh, version as well, and boys and girls will be referring to that. So before we get to the text, kind of want to get us into the, into the mood of it. So I have to confess something. Um, I like the Beatles. I, I, I like the Beatles, but I don't like John Lennon at all. And I know, but here's the real confession. You know that song, So This Is Christmas, What Have You Done? Can I just say, I loathe that song. I just, oh, it comes on the radio. I just want to like do bad things, okay? So I know it's, I, I need to work on that. That's not something a pastor or any Christian should be bragging about how angry I get at a song. So I'm working on it, but it's there. I remember one Christmas, gosh, probably about a decade ago, I was driving in my car and my oldest, Shaylee, was with me and our good friend, Michael, was with, was with us as well. And this song came on. Before I could hide my antipathy, Shaylee noticed and she called, Dad, why do you hate this song? And so I really wanted to formulate a really good answer, but before I could say anything, our friend Michael, as was his way, you know, talk first, think later, just blurted out, Christmas is not about what you have or have not done. It's about what God did in Jesus. I was like, that's a pretty good answer. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that. We'll go with that one. What he said, ditto. So here we are, the Sunday after Christmas, and I'm not going to ask you that question. Instead, we're going to rejoice in what God has done for us in Jesus. So today we're going to look at what is actually in the original Greek language. It's actually one sentence from verse 2 all the way to verse 10 is one sentence. Can you imagine trying to diagram that thing if you're into that? Okay, for those of you in school right now, diagramming is this thing they used to make us do. Ask someone older, they'll tell you what that is. Anyway, so we're going to see this. It's an amazing treatise on what God has done for us in Christ. It's one of the best sentences of the whole Bible. So I want you to follow along as I read now from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, Before we go to God's word, let's go together in prayer. A gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in speech, that we might know your truth. 
And so, Lord, as we come today to this beautiful, profound, robust sentence of your grace, we pray that you would help us to unpack it, that you would send your spirit even now that you might show us once again the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and how much we desperately need it. And we pray that you would do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to focus primarily on verse 10, but we got to get there since it's one sentence, right? We got to kind of walk through this context to be legitimate about preaching God's word and not just what I think. So I want to walk through this together. So Paul, first of all, is addressing a group of believers. This is to those who have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he reminds them of the utter hopelessness of sinners before holy God. He reminds them that we were not sick, we were not suffering, we were dead in sin. Just like everybody else, Christians were once under the power of Satan, deserving God's wrath, deserving God's curse. And let's look what he did in that state. Verse 4 and 5, what did he do? It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Into our death, into our inability to do anything to save ourselves, God brought rescue. Now, as many of you know, some of you visitors may not know, in a different life, 10, 15 years ago, I was a firefighter chaplain and a firefighter. And one of the things that, they, that you do in firefighter training, there is at least three different times when they get you all kitted out and they put you in a building filled with smoke, purposely disorient you, and then you've got to get out. The first time, you've got to get yourself out. Then at a different point in the training, not, not immediately afterwards, some of the time you're not expecting it, you've got to get a wounded comrade out or an injured person they pick. And then the third time, you've got to get a completely unconscious person. So it's a, it's a dummy out. And I've got to tell you, there is a complete difference between a 200-pound man all kitted out who's able to limp along beside you getting him out versus picking up a 180-pound dummy and getting that thing out. It is almost impossible. Okay, get those images from TV and movies of the mighty fireman putting you up on your shoulder. No, that's Hollywood. Okay, you're dragging that person out because you don't have the strength to get them out. And it's hard to make a dead person an unconscious person. They are a heavy, heavy weight. And that is a picture of the salvation we receive in Jesus. We can do nothing to help at all, Paul tells us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus rescues us as corpses, giving life where there was spiritual death. And we read that and we hear that and we nod our heads at that, but we resist that, don't we? Yeah, but deep down I'm a good person. No, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But yeah, but God knows I try my best. No, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yeah, but I, I basically live a moral life. No, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God rescued our corpses because of his great love and mercy. And then verse 6 goes on to tell us that somehow, because believers are actually united to Jesus, the exalted Jesus, that we are somehow existing right now in God's very presence, that everything we do as believers somehow takes place before the very throne of God in front of him, that we exist somehow in that world as we live here, and that world constantly calls to us as we live as aliens and strangers here in this world. Verse 7 tells us that God did that 
Why? To show off His grace. Think about that. Those of us who know Jesus, those of us who've been brought back to life by Jesus, this verse tells us we know something about God that Adam and unbelievers do not. His incredible, gracious kindness to us in Jesus. We know his kindness. Even now, dear Christian, do you believe God is kind? Verse 7 tells us that one of the reasons that we have been united to Jesus and ushered into his very presence is that we might know his kindness. And then verse 8 and 9 reminds us that it is all of grace. If you're looking for a resolution this year, I'm not really big on doing that, but if you want one, memorizing this might be a good one. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 together. What is it? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, Christmas, God coming as a baby embodies all that grace. So today's question, as we get to verse 10, then, is why? Why such grace to sinners? And verse 10 gives us the very purpose of Christmas. And it's our theme for today, which is this. God remakes us in Jesus to use us here. God remakes us in Jesus to use us here. We're going to see we're remade in Jesus for a purpose, and then we're only happy on purpose. So the first thing we we see is that we're remade for a purpose. What do I want to do? I want to jump in at the very beginning here to a very rigid, ultra-literal, hard-to-read translation of verse 10 as we get what this verse is really about. Here is very rigid what what it says in the original. It says, we are God's product, manufactured by Christ Jesus to function exactly where God planned for us. This verse tells us we're God's product. We're his handiwork. Even we could translate that, we're his work of art. We're not just creatures under a creator, but specifically those of us who are in Jesus now. We are remade by Jesus into someone whom God intends to use. Before he tells us, in these, if you follow along starting in verse 2, before he tells us we were of no use, we were purposeless, we were unfulfilled. This is why so many people, even successful people, feel like they haven't arrived or feel like they aren't enough because separated from their creator, they actually haven't arrived. They're purposeless. But Paul reminds us, Christians, we were dead in our sins, not sick. We didn't ask for medicine. God came and called us forth from death to life that he might make us into someone he can use. It can be confusing because so often like we we read that we're sick in our sins or that we're dead in our sins. We we think we're sick. We we tend to hold on to some agency. So I want to help us out by giving us a picture. The Bible actually gives us a picture of what this, this theological principle looks like. We have it on slides. You don't need to turn there. But John chapter 11 Jesus is at the place where he's going to raise his friend Lazarus from the grave. And it says this, Jesus goes, this man is dead. It says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then skipping a couple verses to 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's a picture. It really happened, but it's also a picture of salvation. Did Jesus come to the tomb of Lazarus? Because Lazarus felt the pain and misery of his death. And so he asked Jesus to make it right. No. Well, then Lazarus realized that he was dead. And he saw before him the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And like any gift, and like many of you did yesterday, he took that gift and he unwrapped that gift. And he said, Jesus, please save me. And came back to life. No. Lazarus did what corpses do. He he was rotting. He did nothing. Jesus came and said, Lazarus, live. And he was remade by Jesus, just as we are. See, Ephesians tells us that God remakes us in Jesus that powerfully for a reason, to walk in good works. Now, boys and girls still here, we're talking about like rising from the grave and being dead and stuff. I want to make sure you're tracking with me. So let's look at your version of verse 10. Here's, here's how we put it for you guys. Jesus remade us to be exactly what God wants us to be. And now we can do what God wants us to do. Isn't that great, boys and girls? God doesn't come along and say, do this. He first comes along and says, let me make you able to do this. And then he says, now do this. Isn't that great? It would just be unfair for God to demand something and not give us the ability, right? Why would he come to a corpse and say, obey me, without first giving us life? That's what Paul wants us to see in salvation here. So what is it that God specifically wants us to do? God wants us to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be opposite of all that stuff in verses 1 through 3. Uh, one through three. All that bad stuff you said, you were under the power of Satan, now you're not. You were excluded from Israel, now you're not. You were this other person, now you're alive. That's the first principle. He wants us to be like Jesus, and so we walk in good works. And I want to emphasize that as the first principle, because so often what happens is when we emphasize grace, which we should, there's this assumption that because of grace, all obligations are out the door, right? We're forgiven in Jesus. And so any talk of obedience is legalism. No, Ephesians reminds us that we are remade for good works. God's plan of salvation is more than forgiveness. It's remaking us to be like Jesus, loving God's will, wanting to obey God's word, being empowered actually to obey God's word. But the second aspect of this new product God is making is that we are to walk in God's preordained good works. That God did not remake us in Jesus for nothing. He has specific things that he intends for us to do. You, dear Christian, were called by Jesus from from death to life for a purpose. Do you believe that? Now, here's where I'm supposed to tell you that, yes, God has this big, huge, grand purpose to go out there and do great things for Jesus and attempt great things for Jesus and don't settle for an ordinary life or live your best life now or whatever book cover is out there. Go get it done. But I don't know any of that stuff. The Bible doesn't say any of that stuff, but I do know that what the Bible says is that our experience of grace very often sends us back to normal, everyday life in faithfulness and joy. 
Just give me an example. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 12, Paul, writing to his protege, says what? I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Or again, to the church in the city of Thessalonica, he writes this, 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, We urge you, brothers, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Where am I going with this? The good works that God intends for us very often occur in the normal, mundane faithfulness of daily life. Let me give you an example of this. Many of you know this. So I actually worked in corporate America after I had a seminary degree, which is just awesome. Um, I was working in a career I did not want to work in, and I was not any good at it, didn't want to be there. And so like anybody in that situation you know, who has a professional uh, religious degree should do, I whined a lot. Um, Thank God he brought me a mentor at the time, and I remember he kept drilling this into my head. He goes, man, God, Sean, God is on the throne, and he has you right where he wants you at this moment, and if you can't be faithful where he has put you, quit dreaming about being faithful somewhere else. I think, well, that sounds pretty good. Okay, we do that. <laughs> so I, I started like, having this commitment, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to start every day recognizing the grace in which I stand, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to actually live out the joy that Jesus says I should have. So I just made this commitment. No matter what you ask me, hey, Sean, how's it going? I was like, man, it's going great. I'm, just going to, I'm going to be that person. And so I started being that person, and providentially, I was also, you know, as you can tell, I'm kind of a large guy, so I purposely would take the stairs instead of the elevator, and I had to go up three flights of stairs, and I would always, at least three or four times a week, I don't know why the Lord set this up, the VP of sales who I worked for would be coming down the stairs, and so we met, and every time, her name was Jackie, like, Sean, how you doing today? Like, man, I'm doing great, Jackie, how are you? It was always something positive, and after like three or four months, she stopped me, and she was, I gotta tell you, it's so refreshing to, to say, how are you doing? And to hear someone say what you say. Everybody else always complains. Thank you. And so I took that moment. I wish I remember what I said. I don't. But I gave her a quick two-sentence gospel. Something like, you know, I believe that I was dead in my sins and trespasses. And God made me alive in Jesus by his grace. And so any day I wake up as a gift. And why not be happy? If something like that. I don't know. I, it, was, it wasn't very good. But I just tried to be faithful in that moment. But I had the opportunity because I decided to be faithful and joyful in the mundane stuff of going to a job I didn't want to be at. And God uses that. And that's one of the good works he had preordained for Sean to do. See, as our culture tells you, you only matter if people know your name, if you're an influencer, if you're famous. God's word tells us, actually live a quiet life of daily faithfulness, walking in the good works God has already planned for you. Maybe your great work is to model to your kids faithfulness and joy when life is consistently hard. Right, we good Presbyterians, we, we, we get that. I can model faithfulness when things are hard. The joy part, uh, we need to do both maybe. Maybe your great preordained purpose is to be a model employee, a faithful husband, an older woman who comes alongside an exhausted young mother, a young family who befriends a lonely older couple. See, so many Christians are aimless in life, wondering why they're here. Verse 10 gives us purpose for our life. We, you, were remade in Jesus to accomplish specific preordained works for God's glory. 
God, therefore, has given you gifts. He's given you passions to drive you into, into doing those things he's ordained for you to do by his grace. Our, our, our vision as a church of live, grow, thrive, and go is rooted in this truth that God gives new life in Jesus. We then grow stronger together. In that strength, we kind of thrive and we're emboldened to walk into the good works God has for us. We go to our community to do those good works. Oh, it's your session's dream for Sycamore to be an incubator of these kind of good works. Instead of top-down programs, we long to see tons of grassroots ministry happening from the bottom up, because that's living out verse 10, being a people remade for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because God remade us in Jesus to use us here. So Christian, what are you passionate about? Are you walking faithfully on that purpose? It's an important question because as those remade for a purpose, we're only happy on purpose. If we believe verse 10 is true, that we're remade so God could use us here, we must ask ourselves, am I doing what God has made me to do? We all have divine appointments is what we like to call it in church world, right? Where your lives matter. God wants you to have interactions with certain people. We're supposed to do stuff for him. God makes us a renewed people to bring about the renewed earth that he promises. This process he begun in Jesus continues through Jesus using his people. So the question is, are you living faithfully, dear Christian, in God's purpose for you? Here's one of the ways you can find out. Just ask yourself, are you joyful? Do you have peace? Or do you find yourself unhappy, constantly critical, very quick to complain? Judging by your desires and interests instead of looking out for the desires and interests of others. See, those are things that we see in Christians that, are, that come up from a deep-seated dissatisfaction. It's a dissatisfaction from not walking in the good works God has prepared beforehand for you to do. You're not living on purpose, and so you're unhappy. Here's another way maybe to think about it is several years ago, I used to drive this Saab, and after I had about three or four years, the gas gauge started to malfunction, which is not fun at all. And a few more years later, um, it just stopped working completely. And I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer, so I, I looked into it, and I was like, why did I ever buy a saw? Because this one little part was $700. And then I had to drop the tank to get to it. If you know anything about doing your own car work, that's like for mature audiences only, all right? You're not dropping the tank unless you really want to get in trouble. So I was like, you know what, fine, I just don't have a gas gauge. So I had to like keep track of the odometer and do math just to drive my car. It made me grumpy, it made me irritable, I was full of stress and anger, I just did not like this car anymore. See, in God's people, or a church in general, when we're malfunctioning, we cause in ourselves and others grumpiness, being upset, stress, anxiety, anger. When we malfunction, we feel it. You know, in church world, behind the scenes, when pastors get together, we, ha we, have, we, we have, like just like you do in your industry, you have like short shorthand, shop talk, you know? You know what we call this? I'm going to give you a secret here. You ready? We call it spiritual constipation. <laughs> Until the good work starts flowing again, you're going to have cramps, belly aches, and be in a bad mood. See, and the solution is to walk in those good works right now. Again, this text 
is talking to those who have already been brought in by grace. Do not hear me saying these are good works to get in. These are good works because you are already in. Because you've been brought in by grace, God says, this is what my people look like. This is what I've made you to look like. See, Ephesians 2 shows us that when we get a picture of our God as he actually is, a rescuing God, a God who brings beauty, and when we take seriously this passage, we'll see an amazing truth, that we Christians are God's boots on the ground to make the world better. See, and that's the issue right there. Do we have a picture of God as he is, as he has revealed himself? I'm going to go back to the question I asked you in verse 7 at the very beginning, where God shows the riches of his grace and kindness to us. If we struggle to believe that God is kind, we won't really be kind either. We'll begin to see non-Christians or Christians with different theology as adversaries. And it's real hard to seek the betterment of adversaries, isn't it? See, Paul reminds us that God has specific plans for the good, the good we're to do in the world. But if we see the world or non-Christians as our adversaries, we will struggle to engage in those good works because deep down, we just don't want to. That's why Paul takes nine verses to remind us of the incredibly gracious kindness of God where he changed us from adversaries to family and then he hits us with verse 10 to go out and do the same in my name because we always act out of our fundamental beliefs. Verse one through nine leading to verse 10 shows us that when we get the fundamental character of God right, then we act out of those beliefs into the good works God has designed for us. Well, let me wrap this up by looking again at the kids' version. It says this, Jesus remade us to be exactly what God wants us to be, and now we can do what God wants us to do. That is your elder's prayer for Sycamore this year. Just imagine if every believer in this room, by God's grace, lived on purpose into these good works this year, believing in the kindness of God, living out the kindness of God, man, we would mess Midlothian up for the gospel. Because God remakes us in Jesus so he can use us here. Do we really believe that? Do you believe that God is kind, that he rescues you by grace because he wanted to? that he remakes you alive in Jesus because he loves you and that he gives you purpose to go do good works in his name. Do you believe that? Because that's the good news of Christianity. It's laid out right here in these verses. And if you do not know Jesus like this, you can. Place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord. And all this can be yours. And if you've done that, do you know the kindness of God? Perhaps it's time to repent, my dear Presbyterians, of a very cerebral, false view of a harsh, hard God and believe what God says about himself. He's kind. And for all of us, hear again the gospel. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, 
Lord, your gospel is so beautiful and yet so hard to believe. We don't want to be dead and helpless. We want to do something. We want to earn it. We don't want to be in your debt. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you help us once again to see our desperate need of your rescue and the beauty of the gospel in which you have rescued us in Jesus? And Lord, we pray for those here today who do not know you that as you've promised, Jesus, you yourself said that when you were lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. And so we have shown you this morning to be lifted up, crucified for sinners, raised to give us new life. We pray that you would be true to your promise and draw people to yourself even now. As you did at the tomb of Lazarus, would you even in these moments cause people to confess faith in you as the resurrected Lord? And Father, we pray for those of us in the room who do know you. Lord, would you forgive us for our default of seeing you as an aloof taskmaster? And would you give us the grace to believe what you say about yourself, that you want to show off your kindness? That's, that's hard to believe. We want to believe. Will you help our unbelief? And we pray all this, Father, in Jesus' great name. Amen.